Empower Radio presents Out of the Fog. Join intuitive guide and spiritual teacher Karen Hager for lively, positive conversation with lightworkers, healers, and dynamic wisdom keepers. Get ready for inspiration and connection. This is Out of the Fog on Empower Radio. Here's your host, Karen Hager. Hello and welcome to Out of the Fog. I'm Karen Hager. Each week at this time, we gather for a spiritual conversation and enlightening guests, and I'm glad you're here. Time and distance are no barrier to energy, and that means no matter when you're listening, no matter how you found us, you are here for a reason. And I hope that something in the next hour lights you up and helps you move forward. Are you, like me, I am, are you looking for a way to have a more balanced life, a, a life, a happier, a more harmonious life? Well, author and yoga therapist Jenny Lee is here today to talk about her new book, Yo- True Yoga. And that's a book that where she helps demystify yoga and starts to tap into some of its powerful tools to help us conquer stress and promote happiness. Now, I am all for that. Are you ready to meet her? Jenny Lee is a yoga therapist who's shared the healing benefits of classical yoga and meditation with hundreds of clients over the past 17 years. Using the practices that she writes about in her new book, True Yoga, she's helped people conquer anxiety, depression, grief, post-traumatic stress, attention issues, and challenging relationship dynamics. Jenny's writing has appeared in the Huffington Post, Mind Body Green, Yoga Therapy, Today Magazine, Yoga Digest, Common Ground Magazine, Gaia, Yogi Times, and more. You can learn more about Jenny and her work at JennyLeeYogatherapy.com. Jenny, welcome to Out of the Fog. Hi, Karen. Thank you so much for having me on the show today. Oh, you're very welcome. And we were talking a little off the air. You're calling from a very interesting place. I am. I'm at an ashram in Austin, Texas at the moment, um, and I was letting Karen know that we might have some special guests on the show uh, because it's peacock mating season here, and they are quite loud in their in their happy dance while they're mating. So <laughs> if you hear any strange noises in the background, it's just the peacocks. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just, we'll add that in as nature's call to love, the powerful call of love. Um, ex- exemplified right here on the, on the show. I'd love to know a little bit of of your story. How did you come to this place on your journey? Well, I have to say, I, I was thinking about the name of your show, Out of the Fog, and it was at a time in my life when I was really in a fog, <laughs> a fog of depression and grief and um, real sorrow and loss that I dug into the philosophy of yoga. I already had a physical practice of yoga uh, for many years prior, but um, I was searching for tools to help me get out of my own inner fog. And um, I was looking into some of the ancient writings of yoga philosophy and um, found these principles in the Yoga Sutras that I write about in True Yoga that really gave me a way to get a handle on my thoughts, on my emotions, on my grieving process and frame it all in a way that um, helped me step out and beyond uh, what felt like a a pretty deep, dark fog at the time and kind of a bottomless pit at the time. But um, that's how I I came to it. And um, since then, I've been studying these these texts for years, different translations, and um, 
trying to convey this wisdom to my students in various ways and found that it was kind of esoteric and very hard for people to grasp some of the concepts um, in a quick class, you know, an hour-long physical yoga class. And so I wanted to write a, a, a accessible text that would make these principles tangible in everyday life. So uh, I know we're going to get into some of the specifics about um, the principles within the book, so I won't go there quite yet. But uh, the, although this is ancient wisdom, it is very practical and tangible for the challenges that we deal with on a daily basis today. And it is a very practical, very accessible book. People listening know that I love the books that you can write in and the books that give me things to do, ideas. And each um, section of this book has a place for daily practice, a, a place for affirmations, where you can, after you've worked through the chapter, you can uh, use the affirmations to kind of bring home or let the uh, thing that you've learned sink in. And I love the practicality of that. Thank you. And I also wrote the book so that people could pick it up and um, dig into any chapter that really called to them. So if a certain theme or um, quality that you're trying to cultivate in your life is reflected in one of the chapters, I say start there and then make your way around the book at your own pace and time. It doesn't have to be read cover to cover in a linear fashion, but it can, we can really pick it up and look at what's applicable for us in this moment and what do these teachings have to to share with us about how to, how to work with it. Early in the book, when you're talking about sort of your early educational experience, you were talking about developing something that you were calling joy therapy. And you said something that really struck me. You said that although you were not yet aware of the knowledge of the wisdom contained in the sutras, that because you had such a desire for happiness, for joy, that some of that wisdom, some of that knowledge seemed to sort of be coming through in what you were writing. Does that, is that a fair characterization of what you said? It is. It's so interesting that you tuned into that particular passage, Karen. You're the first person that's actually called that passage out of the book. And um, it's one of my favorites because it, it exemplifies to me how when we embark upon the journey of uh, understanding ourselves, and by self I mean our, our own human self and our psyche, but also the greater self of which we are all a part, um, and that kind of cosmic self, when we get serious about understanding both aspects of self, then we, we start to open our, our awareness truth on a, on a broader level than just the truth that we may have experienced in, in our small little life, um, being given to us by our teachers, our elders, our pastors, etc. And there is what I consider to be a universal truth. Um, that is not my truth versus your truth, but it's really just the universal truth of how the, the universe works. And so when we open ourselves to that, we do amazing things happen. Um, we start to intuitively know things that we can't exactly explain um, sometimes from the outside, but we know it on the inside. And we also are led to people, places, things, teachings, books, all manner of things that then either reinforce that inner knowing or open a new window for us to uh, to come to a greater level of understanding. 
And so I think that's what was happening for me at the time. I had certainly studied many different types of religions, spirituality, traditions, um, philosophies. And so I had a body of knowledge, but there was also this intuitive awareness that there was something more than anything that I had read anywhere. And so when I started creating that theory of counseling that I called joy therapy, it was really coming from this inner wisdom, uh, from my highest awareness, my highest self that knew the path from the dark place back to the light. I love that, that you, there's maybe a way in which we all already know the path from the dark place back to the light and resources. Yes. Yeah. Resources like your book and this kind of teaching, these are validate. It's validation and tool. I feel Jenny very strongly that we're all connected at the deepest level and that we're in a time where we are being called more and more urgently to spiritual awareness, to going deeper in some of the ways that you like your talk about in true yoga. And that part of that is realizing that we have, we've known the path all along. We walk the path. We are on the path. It's just a shift of our perspective to take us to that place. Yes. And that is such an important thing for people to realize. You know, I think when we're suffering in whatever way, whether it's physical, emotional, or spiritual pain, um, people are desperate for answers, for solutions, and they go out looking in a million different ways for help. And one of the things that I think is very, very clear in certainly the yoga teachings and many different wisdom traditions is that truth and knowledge and that light is within each one of us. It is already there. All the tools that we need for our healing and for coming back into that state of living in the light are already within us. We might need a little help accessing that, but it's not something that we're going to get on the outside. It is already within. And a good teacher is not going to come to you and say, I have the answers over here. They're going to say, you have the answers within. Let me help you find them. I've been saying for many years that if you meet a teacher who tells you they know all their answers, you should run away as fast as you can. Because yes. that mm -mm. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't, <laughs> does not work that way. Um, when we're talking about this spiritual path, there's a sense as I read your writing about each of the practices you outline in the book, taking us deeper, going slowly. And sometimes when we want answers, we grab for what is fast. We grab for what's quick. And what I like about the wisdom that you bring through in true yoga is that this is a, what to me is a rather slow and beautiful unfolding of inner awareness and then putting that awareness into action. Yes and, yes and no about the slowness. I think that we can change one small thing and it can profoundly impact our lives. So we can have, we can expect big change from small effort sometimes. And then the flip is also true. Sometimes we have to plug away with little efforts and not expect great change for a while. So I guess a yes and no to that um, question or statement, but I think that whenever we apply a principle of truth in our lives and we live it from the inside out, we're a step closer to happiness and peace. 
And so every step we take is just a measurable difference in how we experience life and how we deal with all of the vicissitudes and challenges that life brings us. As I was reading the book, I always write down little things that kind of catch my eye. And you, as you say that about the small things, how just changing the smallest thing can make a big difference. I had written down here, never underestimate the power of one peaceful gesture or one peaceful thought. And that is amazing, isn't it? Maybe that one peaceful thought could trigger a bigger change. Absolutely. I mean, the thought... Testing a peaceful thought. So you're in the chapter on ahimsa, which is the practice of peacefulness. And this is a place that I often start with my clients. Um, and we look at the quality of their daily thought. And if someone has never done this before, just, just attending to what the repetitive nature of thought is that runs through our mind is sometimes a, a huge aha moment of oh, no wonder I don't feel peaceful. All I've been thinking all day long are negative thoughts about myself and my neighbor and my colleagues. And so how can we possibly expect to feel peaceful if we're running these negative tapes in our minds all day long? So to if that's the case for someone and they suddenly realize it, and then they have the ability, if we all have this ability, not if someone has it, we all have this ability to then make a choice to introduce a peaceful thought, such as if, say, a person um, in your environment was being conflictual or challenging with you, you could, rather than uh, having a judgment about them and being negative about them, you could think of peaceful thoughts such as, I'm sorry that they're suffering. Clearly, they're having a bad day or they wouldn't be speaking to me this way. Mm. And so just bringing yourself into that place of compassion in your thought and in your heart, even for that one moment, can radically change how you experience that conflict and how you react to it or respond to it, rather. Well, in that reactivity, I was as I was driving to the studio today, I was behind someone who was, for whatever reason, going, you know, 15 miles an hour when it was in a 45 mile hour zone. And I found myself there behind them. And my thought was, get out of the way, get out, you've got to get out of the way, get out of the way, everybody get out of my way. And that to me, that's a reaction to a lot more going on in my life than just someone being slow in front of me. And sometimes when that bubbles up, at least in my experience, it's it's a kind of an accumulation of all those negative thoughts or all the pressures or all the stuff that it, that's not a peaceful thought. Right. Right. So what's a, what's another thought that you could have chosen in that moment to bring yourself into more peace would be a question that I would ask a client. I might say to myself, there's plenty of time. I might look to the left or to the right to see if I could go around. That's the story of my life. Get out of the way when there are 15 empty lanes of traffic where I could move, right? <laughs> move around. I could look, <laughs> I could look for a way around. I could ask myself what this uh, experience gives me the opportunity to notice the trees were coming into bud. For example, what do I oh. see now when I go 15 that I can't see when I'm speeding by at 45? I guess those are some of the things I could have done differently. Those those are all fantastic options. And uh, another one that I would just add to that wonderful list is that to just take a deep breath and say, I'm okay right now, it's going to be okay. And just bring yourself back into the moment because when we're projecting that, get out of my way, get out of my way, we're already, you know, at trying to be where we're going versus yes. being where we are. And if we can just bring ourselves back to this moment, this breath, 
usually we can handle that much and we can and that's all we ever really have to handle is this moment in this breath so to bring ourselves back again and again is a way to create a sense of peacefulness within that's beautiful and i i'm a big nut about daily spiritual practice and i noticed the subtitle of the book it's so it's true yoga practicing with the yoga sutras for happiness and spiritual fulfillment. And I love that idea of practice for every time I say, get out of the way, get out of the way. I have an equal chance to take a breath, to try again. And then when I go off the rails again, I take another breath and bring myself back that it is a practice. It's not a do these 10 things and in 10 minutes you will, it'll be solved. It isn't like that. Absolutely. And when we say spiritual practice, for some people, that's a very formal um, ritual, maybe related to church or to a, uh, a formal sitting meditation practice or some other uh, ritual of some kind that represents their spiritual belief system. But really, for all of us, spiritual practice can extend into every moment of our lives. It's really how it's the recognition that we are all spiritual beings embodied here in physicality, and how do we honor the spirit within each moment, within myself, within the person that I'm having a conversation with, within the environment that I'm in, and really make it my practice every moment to, to honor that spirit. So this book is based on eight yoga sutras. Can you tell us what a sutra is, and specifically what these eight are, why you chose these? Yeah, actually, a little clarification. There are, there's more than eight sutras that are represented in the book, but um, it's based on the, what's, what are called the eight limbs of yoga, and several of the limbs have um, more than one sutra that com- are com- they are comprised of. So just to be technically correct, I sure. should say that. But a sutra is... Um, a nugget of spiritual wisdom, if you will. It's a very short teaching, or they call them aphorisms, So, but it's, uh, it's kind of a word that's not really in use commonly. So it's a short spiritual teaching. And these were compiled. There's, I think, 100... I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to quote this correctly. I think there's 196 Yoga Sutras in total and maybe 20 or so are represented in my book. Um, And so these were compiled over 2,500 years ago as a result of previous sacred texts, such as the Vedas, the Upanishads, the Bhagavad Gita, um, Buddhist texts, various uh, traditional sacred texts. And then these spiritual nuggets of truth were kind of boiled down into these short phrases. And so that's what the sutras are. And the word sutra means to string or to sew together. And so if you think about, this is often explained like um, prayer beads, like a a string of prayer beads or what are called a mala um, in the yoga tradition. These are, each bead would represent a teaching and then they're they're woven together almost like a, a path to follow to get from the outer experience of being human and how we identify ourselves as these bodies and these histories that we create and have come into. And then coming back, following that path back to our true spiritual nature or the inner essence of our 
soul or spirit. And so the eight limbs, particularly these, these 20 or so sutras that I've pulled out um, and identified as, as a, um, a worthy cause for the book True Yoga mm. are um, very specific practices that are offered in the greater text of the Yoga Sutras as very specific practices that we can do to, to go from a state of disharmony and disconnection and suffering back to a state of harmony, connection, and peace. When we were talking about peace, you brought in that idea of, of compassion. And I know that there is, there's a beautiful chapter in here on, on truth. And the connection between truth and compassion is something that I'm especially been watching a lot of politics lately. And sometimes the connection between truth and compassion is not always made. Um, can you say a little bit about speaking the truth, but being in compassion, living truth in a compassionate way? Can we actually put the word truth and politics in the same sentence? <laughs> <laughs> You're right. I need ironic quotation mark. I don't know. Do I? How do we fix that? <laughs> I'm not sure, but we'll, we'll go with this. Um, <laughs> and I'm, I'm not really not sure if we can put the word compassion and politics in the same place. But I agree. Uh, I, I appreciate where you're going with this, Karen. So um, the connection between truth and compassion is this, is that we, so if you're following the order of the eight limbs, the, the first principle that's introduced is peacefulness, which we've spoken about already a little bit. The second one is this concept of truth or truthfulness. And so one rests on the other. So if we have some bit of truth to share with someone, we have to ask ourselves, if, is this going to be harmful? Is it really necessary? Is it kind? Can it, and if it does, if it is necessary, can we deliver it with the greatest amount of compassion that we can find in our hearts? Because sometimes we do have to deliver difficult truth. So first it's assessing, do we really need to deliver this truth? Or do we have some other personal agenda for saying it that might not be compassionate? And then if we determine that it is really necessary for us to say, can we deliver it with compassion for how it's going to land for the other person? That's still not necessarily going to make their experience of that truthful information easier, but at least we know as from our end of the practice that we're doing the best we can to remain in the integrity and compassion that we aspire to. I hadn't thought of it that way, but that's true that doing something compassionately doesn't mean here I fixed that for you. All better now? Everything okay? It doesn't mean that. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it in terms of relationships, let's say that your truth is, I can no longer be in this relationship with you. And you know that the other person is going to be very hurt by that truth. But we can, there are certainly ways of delivering that that are more hurtful than others. I mean, their response to that truth, that bit of our truth, is ultimately up to them well, we can certainly deliver it in the most compassionate way that we can find. And it's true. I'm just thinking into that conversation about the relationship. It's true that in any relationship, whether it's long time or casual or work related, 
you would hope that there had been before that compassionate truth is spoken, a kind of a connection, a deeper foundation to allow each person to hold space for the other, even if they're not going to agree. That's also something that we don't have in politics, do we? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. I had a conversation with um, a female friend recently. Uh, We had a, I I had a response to something that she had said, um, or a reaction, I guess, is more accurate. And I sat with what that reaction was for me, and I came up with the, the truth that I needed to share with her, and I shared it with her in the most compassionate way that I could, honoring that she might feel very differently. And in fact, she, she was able to listen, com- compassionately listen to me, hear me, honor my truth, and continue to disagree. Mm-hmm. And that was fine because we didn't walk away angry. We walked away in disagreement, but it was a respectful, compassionate disagreement. And we remain colleagues. And it, there's no hard feelings. There's no energy there anymore. You know, there's no tension. It's just we, have a dis- we disagree, and that's okay. And actually, if politicians could do this, what a different world we'd be living in. I mean, it's fine for people to have differ, different opinions. And certainly, it, I think it's healthy in the, in the political realm for different opinions to be represented. But it's when the absolute venom of name-calling and backbiting and accusations and everything else gets involved that we've lost all connection to truth. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're listening to Out of the Fog with Karen Hager. I'm talking with Jenny Lee. Her new book is True Yoga, Practicing with the Yoga Sutras for Happiness and Spiritual Fulfillment. We'll be right back with Jenny after this. Come to the forest. It's a place not so far away. A place where you don't have to mow the lawn or babysit. I saw lizards and squirrels and bugs. Ladybugs, caterpillars. It's really cool, actually. A place where you don't have to make time for free time. Lots and lots of kinds of species here. Out here, you may even meet the mysterious creature known as the other you. The enchanted you. It's magic what flowers do. The adventurous you. My favorite tree, yes, is that one. The free-to-be-me you. (laughs) Ask your parents to take you to this not-so-far-away place. Come to the forest, where the other you lives. But first, stop by discovertheforest.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Do you get tired of styling your hair every day? And do you want a good hairstyle every day? Hi, I'm Sarah Schuster. I went on a website called inventnow.org, and after that, I decided to invent something too. Something called the Insta-Do. Just imagine, you just put it over your head like a helmet does, and you pick your hairstyle with the buttons on the side, and you can have instant hairstyle in seconds. People like it. People like Jeff Bart. I like it. And people like Kenneth. It's a summer thing, and it fits over your head, and it's great. Thank you, Kenneth. You should go to inventnow.org, and it could help you come up with your own invention. After all, look at me on the radio now. 
anything's possible. Keep thinking. Get started on your own inventions or just play some games at inventnow.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, the National Inventors Hall of Fame Foundation, and the Ad Council. Do you get tired of styling your hair every day? And do you want a good hairstyle every day? Hi, I'm Sarah Schuster. I went on a website called inventnow.org, and after that, I decided to invent something too. Something called the Insta-Do. Just imagine, you just put it over your head like a helmet does, and you pick your hairstyle with the buttons on the side, and you can have instant hairstyle in seconds. People like it. People like Jeff Bart. I like it. And people like Kenneth. It's a summer thing, and it fits over your head, and it's great. Thank you, for- Kenneth. You should go to inventnow.org, and it could help you come up with your own invention. After all, look at me on the radio now. Anything's possible. Keep thinking. Get started on your own inventions, or just play some games at inventnow.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, the National Inventors Hall of Fame Foundation, and the Ad Council. And now back to Out of the Fog with Karen Hager on Empower Radio. EmpowerRadio.com. Welcome back to Out of the Fog. I'm Karen Hager, and I'm talking with Jenny Lee. Her new book is True Yoga, Practicing with the Yoga Sutras for Happiness and Spiritual Fulfillment. You can find out more about Jenny and her work at JennyLeeYogatherapy.com. And that's Jenny, J-E-N-N-I-E, JennyLeeYogatherapy.com. And of course, I welcome your feedback about the show. Have you ever been trying to go 45 miles an hour down the street and somebody in front of you has been going 15 and you find that your projected nuttiness is doing nothing but making you more nuts and having no effect on the person in front of you? I'd love your feedback and some sharing maybe from you about how this conversation, this learning is something that you can bring into your life. You can always reach me via email. My email address is karen at karenhager.com. And of course, karenhager.com is my website and there's all kinds of stuff there for you. So Jenny, when, as I'm kind of moving through the steps in the book, moving through the sections in the book, right after peace, right after truth comes generosity. And I thought, oh, good generosity. I can get my mind around that. That's I'm going to give everything and I'll be. And the first thing in there is to take a look at the ways in which we take what is not ours. And that kind of threw me for a loop. I was ready to just give and give and give. I'm good at that. But no, this is an invitation to look at the ways in which we take what is not ours. Can you speak into that? Sure. Um, Actually, many of these sutras originally were um, translated. The original Sanskrit words are not something. So they're framed in a negative. So this um, ashtaya, the Sanskrit interpretation, is not feeling. So if you think about generosity being the positive opposite of not feeling, um, then that's where what you're referring to comes from. So the first way we have to step into this is, is this sense of how am I taking what isn't mine? And that is a very, can be a very subtle practice. I mean, most people aren't walking around stealing cars or shoplifting, but um, we might be late to a meeting. And so in a way, we're, we're taking someone else's time, um, time that they could have been doing something else, 
um, time that they're sitting there idly waiting for us, maybe getting frustrated, maybe getting worried about us. Um, we, we take people's uh, energy, too. Let's say we over-talk in a conversation um, without recognizing that the other person has something to say or is, is maybe responding non-verbally in a way that's showing that they have a need. Maybe they need to get up and go to the bathroom and we haven't stopped talking long enough for them to interrupt, you know, they don't want to interrupt us. So, <laughs> um, And so it's just kind of subtly looking at, firstly, what isn't ours? And then what is ours to give is also a subtle assessment of, you know, we, you talked about being an overgiver or someone who gives readily. And I think many, particularly a little gender bias here, but often many women tend to overgive. And where is that coming from? You know, is it coming from the belief that we have to do this to be accepted, um, maybe even loved? to be um, productive or feel worthy of compensation or can we give from a place that is really balanced within ourselves that is, and this is why it comes after truthfulness because we're asked to kind of look truthfully at where our giving is coming from within us. Is it coming with the desire to receive something in return, even a validation or a love in return? Um, is it coming from a sense of guilt or responsibility? Uh, and so does that explain it a little bit? It does. You know, as you're saying that, it makes me think about a, a situation I had uh, earlier in the month where I got very uncomfortable in a relationship that was had the boundaries were all weird and it didn't feel right. And so I hadn't ever thought about it this way. But what I did was I gave gifts to the person. And I wasn't, when I really look at it, I wasn't giving gifts from my generous heart. I was giving gifts so that I would be less uncomfortable. And maybe that mm. wasn't a gift. Then was it? Right. I mean, I think it's something, something for each one of us to reflect upon, um, you know, why we're giving in a certain way. And, and certainly I want to also clarify that giving isn't just in the realm of tangible material objects, like you're mentioning gifts in this case, or often we think about money or something material, but giving can really be in terms of our energy, our love, our time, our attention. There's many ways in which we give and also receive. And so it's just looking at each one of those categories of how and what we're giving and why. So often we hear that the universe is abundant, endlessly abundant. I personally believe there is always more, always more of every, everything. How can we, how can we live into that abundance? I, my sense is a lot of times we, we give, whether that's time or energy or things, we give from a place of scarcity and we're not giving from that kind of that foundation of abundance. Right. And that's is reflected in this chapter. Um, that really the correlation between giving and receiving is a spiritual law. And it's very easy for us to fall into the belief system that we have scarcity, therefore we don't have enough to give. And it, it's, I've been in times in my life when I have not had the financial resources to even buy the groceries that I needed for me and my son. Um, and I will tell you that this, this 
Sutra has probably been my biggest challenge of all because it is so hard when you are experiencing scarcity to think about generosity. But the way that I started, just like first steps, and and this is one of those examples of a small effort in a certain direction can make a profound difference. I just started working with the affirmation that infinity is the nature of the divine. And uh, my sense of God, spirit, the divine is infinity. And so there is no scarcity. There's no lack in spirit. And if I truly believe that I am part and parcel of, of that divine essence, then the reason I'm experiencing scarcity right now is because there's some obstacle in my way of really seeing truth. And, and so I just kept, and I don't even know what that was at the time. I still, I, I couldn't tell you my entire journey or story of how, what changed, but in choosing to focus on the infinity and abundance of the divine, it started to move my thought away from the constant repetitive fear that came with the experience of scarcity in my material life. And over time, it has begun to shift. My, my external experience has started to reflect my internal experience. That affirmation of abundance has started to manifest outwardly. I still have a ways to go. I'd like to experience even more of what I know is divine abundance, but I'm moving in the right direction. And, um, I don't feel as fearful as I used to. Can I ask a little bit about about fear? So much of so much of these beautiful principles and these beautiful teachings in in the book, at least for me as I read through them, and I'll be interested to hear from listeners what they receive as they read through the book. So many of these touched on places in me where there is a little fear or there is a little pain or there is a little hesitancy. I mean, for me, at least in my, as I believe and in my practice, that tells me there's something to look at, not that I should run away and not look. It That makes me go, oh, look, there's something there. Let's go deeper. There's something, I'm hitting something important. Can you talk a little bit about the role that fear plays or that suffering plays on our spiritual journey? Absolutely. So I'll speak from the standpoint of the Yoga Sutras and um, how they describe five aspects of our experience that cause suffering. And fear really is within each one of them. And so I'll point specifically to three of the five, which um, the first two are two sides of the same coin. So attachment and aversion. And so if we are very attached to something, then we have fear if we think about losing it. And if we don't have something or we don't, we're trying to block something away from our experience because we don't want to have it, then we have fear that it might come towards us. The third one is fear of death or in the case of the sutra that describes this, it's not just talking about physical death, although many people have fear of physical death, but it's fear of our quality of life or our identity as we know it changing in some way that would um, not enable us to live as we feel like we would like to. So there's a lot of fear when we're talking about just quality of life stuff. Um, so fear is a big, big thing to witness in our own thought. 
Um, and as you said, it's a big opportunity to move forward in our spiritual journey because the more that we can surrender the places of attachment, the places of aversion, the fear of things changing, you know, the sense of impermanence and rather than grasping on to things remaining the same or being a certain way, um, then the more free we get, the less we suffer as we start to release some of these fears. I'm not saying it's easy. None of this is totally easy, but it becomes easier each time we catch it and try. Each time, you know, it's like any other skill that we learn. It's not easy to play tennis the first time you walk out on the tennis court, but each time you go out there and you practice your swing and your serve, it gets a little bit easier. And over time, you're playing effortlessly and laughing and joking with your friends. And that, to me, that's the beauty of the practice. I return and return and return, and I come back daily or hourly or with every breath, I return. That, to me, is the beauty of practice, that in that practice, I can look at my fear I can look at my projection, I can look at my attachment, and I can also look at truth, peace, compassion, right? Um, devotion, love in that practice. But the key, at least as I see it, is that you just, you keep returning. Come back and back and back again. Yes, and no one likes to live with fear. Uh, we all have it. It's a natural emotion that we experience, but we don't enjoy it. It's not an enjoyable state to live in. And it's become a bit chronified in our, in our culture, yes. um, in our world today. There's a lot of fear out there in the mass consciousness based on events that are happening in the world. And so it's really, we experience it not just from a personal level, but from a real cultural level. And um, so it is something that we have to attend to. Uh, really watch, practice the attention to when it's arising, why it's arising, how we can work with it, how we can offer it over in service to something greater, truth, peacefulness, compassion, etc. These higher spiritual qualities. Is there a, a practice or an exercise, something that you return to again and again, if you feel fear or feel triggered or feel reactive? Is there something you can share with the listeners, something that maybe they can use when they feel themselves getting kind of pulled in that direction that's not in their highest good? Sure. I uh, One practice I return to is a practice of loving kindness meditation. And we can do a couple moments of it if we have time right now. Oh, it would we... just take about one, one or two minutes. Oh, yes, please. Okay. <laughs> um, it's a very simple practice. And it's something that helps me center if I'm feeling fear. It's something that I've used in the past when I have been feeling um, a sense of fear around scarcity, financial scarcity. Um, and particularly when the financial scarcity is associated with someone else. So that might be a job situation, um, a divorce situation, whatever. And uh, where I, you feel out of control of your circumstance, if you will. And so this is a practice that I use to return to that state of peace within and to really extend peace outwardly to all those involved in the situation. And this can be done. So I'll lead you through it right now. Okay. Okay. So um, 
we can just take a couple of deep breaths together. The, the breath is our, our way inward to sort of feel our state of being in this moment. So as you intentionally take a couple of deep breaths, just notice if there's any tension in the body anywhere. Sometimes if it's hard to, to get a deep breath, there might be some gripping in the belly or in the chest. And by being intentional about the breath, it just gives you an opportunity to offer that tension over, relax in this moment. And then um, I like to place one hand on my chest over my heart center, or maybe both if that's comfortable, but at least one there to kind of anchor into that heart center. And if it's comfortable, you can also close your eyes. So breathing quietly, slowly, and deeply now, the hand on the heart center. You begin by offering this affirmation to yourself. May I be at peace. May I be free of suffering. May I know love that is greater than fear. And then I draw into my awareness that situation or person that might I might have a connection, a fear or connection with. And I offer the same affirmation to them. So may May there be peace in this situation, or may that person be at peace. May they be free of their suffering. May they know love that is greater than fear. And then I return again, and you can do this extending out to as many people or situations as feels appropriate in the moment, but then I always return at the end back to my own self and to the sensation of the hand on my heart and again offer the affirmation, may I be at peace, may I be free of suffering, and may I know love that is greater than fear. And so usually with a few moments of this uh, little meditation, I can draw the energy that's running out there in all the fear, panic, stress response, and I can just bring it home, bring it back to that inner peace place. It's a handle on the fear. It's beautiful, and it's a, as I experience that, it's just a deep connection to kind of that, mm, that deep underground river that flows through all of us that connects all of us what a beautiful way of kind of stepping back into that connection of remembering um remembering who we are and what we want in that way it's beautiful i'm glad you enjoyed it i did i think we should do that all day in fact maybe we'll just do a whole show (laughs) Of just the meta meditation, I'll do that all day. Um, beautiful. At the at the very end of the book, and guys, there's way more in the book than we can cover on the show. There's lots to read and go through, and lots of exercises and affirmations. There's a ton of great stuff. At the very end of the book, Jenny, you share the story of being with your mother, caring for your mother as she was passing, and you tell the story in a way that encapsulates all of the 
all of the principles, all of the tools that are in the book. Are you comfortable sharing that story? Because one of the things sometimes we take that ancient wisdom and it's difficult for people are go, yeah, that's great. 10,000 years ago. How does that apply now to me and to me in that story? It's just in a nutshell how this really works. Sure. Well, I don't know that I have time to, to go through each principle that I applied, but um, as you said, I do in that epilogue uh, go through each principle that's in the book and uh, show how I used it during that very difficult time of being with my mother at her time of passing. But I'll say that one of the greatest um, principles that I drew upon was my meditation practice, and that that is a part of the eight limbs of yoga. It's certainly, it's the pinnacle, really, of all these practices, that the practices that are in it you to the which can enter deep stillness, which is the essence of meditation. And so, you know, when someone is about to transition, there's not much more to do, and there's really just being left. And yet, often at the bedside of a person who is in active dying phase, there's a huge amount of and emotion and try to do or fix or or all manner of things. And I just found that the practice of sitting and with her, and sometimes it was while she was still semi-conscious, and more often it was when she had consciousness temporarily, and I was just sitting near her, being near her. But in the presence of knowing that she was more than that body, the body that I knew as my mother, and, um, I'm probably going to cry, but um, it was at the same time that it was challenging to have her leave because we were very close and I loved her very much. It was also one of the most extremely beautiful moments in my life mm-hmm. to just be in presence with her. No more story, no more. Oh, and Jenny, I hear our connection. I'm so sorry to interrupt you. As often happens when you move a lot of energy, as we are right now, as you share that story, our connection got all funky. Are you still with me? I'm, I'm still here. There Can you, you are. You're right here. You yep. were just sharing okay. how important that presence was, how important yep. that you were talking about being with your mom and being with her as your mom, but also being with her in your awareness of her being so much more than her body. Yeah. Yeah. And so just really recognizing the connection that we held that was beyond mother daughter, beyond all the life story that we had shared and just entering into the stillness of being with her. And it was such a a profound moment of beauty. Um, Really indescribable actually in its fullness. But um probably one of the deepest meditations that I've ever had. <laughs> wow. And that's a, that's a, at least in my own experience, there's a, it's a great privilege to be present at a moment like that, whether it's someone coming into the body or someone leaving the body. And there's a kind of a, uh, there's a holiness, there's a sacredness about that transition time that's very special to, to be there, to be present for that. Definitely. It's a gift. And I think that 
you know, I, I do some hospice volunteering and often I'm working with the families as well as the patients who are, are under hospice care. And um, there's a lot of education that happens when families are, you know, there's a lot of emotion that surfaces at that time for families. And so often we're just educating them around the, the need to set it aside, set the stories aside and be present. Um, because it is such a sacred time, and so much can, so much of the human drama can be transcended if we can just drop out of the story and into the presence. Mm. And I see how close we are. The to- the clock is catching us, Jenny. Can you let us know a little bit about your website, about how listeners can connect with you, where they can get the book, and about other ways that they might be able to work with you? Sure. So my website, as you know, is JennyLeeYogaTherapy.com. The book is available on Amazon and at major bookstores like Barnes & Noble and Borders and um, also, I'm sure, other smaller retailers, uh, although I can't name them all. And uh, it's also available through my website. It's certainly, if you would like a signed copy, you can get that through my website. Um, people can work with me individually. I do individual yoga therapy counseling sessions on phone or Skype. I work with clients internationally, so reach out via email on the website. Um, I also lead a yoga retreat about once a year. I have one coming up next February in Mexico. Just finished one there, and it was fantastic, so going back. And um, various events and workshops around are all listed on the website, but my um, my primary thing is yoga therapy counseling, so that if this material resonates for you, please reach out via email and we'd love to work with anyone. Jenny, thank you so much for being on the program. It's We've skipped merrily across the surface of what is a big, deep teaching, and I'm really grateful that you could come and share some of that with us. Thank you, Karen. It's been a pleasure, really a deep pleasure to talk with you, and thank you for, for your compassionate listening and your wonderful questions. Oh, you are very welcome. And you know, we got through the whole interview without a single peacock. Oh, that's right. Isn't that? Having a nap, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that wonderful? Jenny, thank you. Thank you so much for being on the program. Thank you. (laughs) Okay, bye-bye. Thank you. That is Jenny Lee, and her new book is True Yoga, Practicing with the Yoga Sutras for Happiness and Spiritual Fulfillment. You can find out more about Jenny and her work at JennyLeeYogaTherapy.com. And Jenny is J-E-N-N. I-E. So it's J-E-N-N-I-E, Lee, yogatherapy.com. And of course, I always welcome your feedback about the show. You can find me, Karen, at karenhager.com. And on my website, karenhager.com, that's a great way to find out about upcoming classes and events. If you'd like to connect with me privately, you can find out all that on the website. If you've been watching a lot of politics, as I have, or looking at what's happening in the world and finding yourself a little anxious, a little unsettled, a little bit wondering what can you do to promote peace and understanding what can you do to add your voice to a call for light, a call for good. I invite your attention to openpeacefulheart.com. That is a monthly free group meditation, just 15 minutes um, of hundreds of people coming together from around the world to in silence and in guided meditation to add our intention that when we connect on the light, it makes all the difference. And thank you so much for listening today. Together we are spreading a little more light in the world, and a little more light is always a good thing. 
And until next time, I'm wishing you peace.